The Net Zero Business Podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered Podcast, and it's the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reductions targets from corporates. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. Welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science, setting net zero emissions goals for the long term and supporting goals in the short term. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target into law in 2019, more and more businesses are attempting to get ahead of the curve, strengthening their carbon and energy strategies, eyeing net zero well before that 2050 deadline. As such, we'll be speaking to the trendsetters and trailblazers that have set these targets, getting some behind-the-scenes insight. That's what these podcasts are for. They're short episodes featuring one in-depth interview with an organisation working towards net zero, and we've had a range of different organisations guests speaking on this series since we launched it a little over a year ago, including the National Trust, EY, the Co-op and the University of Staffordshire. And today's guest is from International Hotel Group, IHG, their Chief Sustainability Officer and VP for Corporate Responsibility, Catherine Dalton, to be precise. IHG operates more than 6,000 destinations across 16 brands that I'm sure most of us will have heard of, like Crown Plaza and Holiday Inn. And most of these destinations, as Catherine will explain, are franchised. So this is a really interesting context in which we'll be discussing the net zero transition, especially as the sector is recovering from COVID-19. After we hear from Catherine today, we'll have a segment from our sponsors for this episode, Inspired Energy PLC, all about how complying with Phase 3 of the UK's Energy Savings Opportunity Scheme, that's ESOS Phase 3, can help your organisation on its journey to net zero. We'll also be rounding up some of the biggest net zero related headlines from the past few weeks in our net zero news in brief. But for now, it's over to Catherine at IHG, and I hope you enjoy that conversation as much as I did. Hi, Catherine. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Sarah. Really, really good to join you and looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's nice to catch up. I know we did quite a fair bit um, with IHG pre-pandemic, but for obvious reasons now is a is a good time to catch up. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we've, we've long been um, fans and supporters of everything that you guys do. So it's it's really great to be talking again. Of course. But um, yeah, as I've said, it has been a little while. Um, So I guess for my benefit, as well as the people at home, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your role as CSO and VP for corporate responsibility um, and about how that sits within the wider IHG sustainability effort. Absolutely. Yes. So as as you said, I'm Chief Sustainability Officer at IHG. and my team sits within the wider corporate affairs team. So I report into the EVP of corporate affairs. Um, and that's really fantastic, actually, because such a large part of my my team's role is engaging with colleagues, with our third party owners. That's actually um, 
it's 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 really fantastic and helps us to to, to elevate our messaging with them. Um, in terms of my team, I have about 20 people spread around the globe, so everywhere from Shanghai to the Philippines, UK, US, um, and that's a real mix of strategic roles, um, but also business partnering roles. So what's really important for my team um, is how we execute various initiatives across what is predominantly a franchise estate for us. Um, so that's uh, you know, working really, really closely with with our ops teams who who work hand in hand with our third party owners. Um, so, in terms of the the specific areas of responsibility, my team leads on environmental sustainability as well as community impact activities, and that covers all six thousand of our hotels worldwide. Um, and as I said, they're predominantly franchised. Um, and we also lead all of our ESG reporting and engagement activity as well. So we work really closely with our teams in human resources, ethics, compliance and also responsible procurement. Um, and then in terms of sort of how that how that sort of feeds into the board, um, we've got I'm lucky we've got a really, really engaged board mm-hmm. um, and a dedicated board committee, responsible business board committee um, that's made up of non-execs um but also our chairman and and ceo always attend which is was really great so we've got a a, a fantastic level of, of support across the business mm. so a really long to-do list it sounds like for you and lots of great things that we could focus on here um but as this is a net zero business podcast we're going to go on to the environmental side and specifically onto that energy and carbon um side side of things and i guess um the obvious question at the moment for um, the hospitality, leisure and tourism industries um, is about how we move forward with energy efficiency and decarbonisation. Um, so it'd be great to get an update on what's been going on recently and then the future opportunities that we're seeing as we sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Sure. Um, yeah, it's a great question because obviously, our, you know, hospitality hotels, as, as well as many other businesses, were massively impacted um during the pandemic hugely so last year um so actually during the height of the pandemic my team we focused a lot on on the work we we do to support our community so you know repurposing hotels to provide accommodation to those in need um working um with food banks that kind of thing but at the same time we did keep the environment work going because i think we were all we all knew that coming out of covid um, that long-term E uh, part of the ESG agenda would would become more important than ever. Um, so we've, we've been doing a lot of work, and, and we launched our Journey to Tomorrow Responsible Business Plan um, in February this year, which has core pillars around people, communities, and planet. And and obviously a key part of that is our carbon and energy commitments. So we actually we already had a, a two degree aligned science based target, which we announced in February last year. And actually, for, for many, many years, we've had carbon reduction as a metric um, going all the way from every single hotel all the way up to executive committee. Um, so it's been a big been a big focus for us. But actually, you know, the, the last year has, has really uh, taught us uh, and helped us to think through what we need to do for the future. Um, so last month we we've, we committed 
to upgrading our science-based target um, to align with that 1.5 degree scenario. And that will be across all of our hotels globally. So a really big step up in our ambitions. And so what we've been doing over the last um, few months is, is mapping out the pathway to achieve that. Um, because as you say, you know, it's, it's massively ambitious for, for us. Um, and obviously there are some levers within our control um, such as renewable energy contracts for the hotels, improving the efficiency of the existing estate, as well as thinking about those, the, the, those new builds, um, because this is a growth industry. So really, really important is, is that new build element. Um, and then also, you know, thinking about how we can collaborate more widely with, with stakeholders within our industry. Um, and also outside the industry um, and thinking about government as well, how they can sort of support the industry to, to take action. Um, but for us, really, the really big thing is given that franchise nature of our business, how we work really, really collaboratively with our hotel owners to support them to take that action. Of course. So really busy, busy time. Um, and we can come back to that new build element that you mentioned. Um, but something I've seen as part of this need to map um, that you've mentioned. So something that came out that was of interest to me was um, a, an important step in that, I'm assuming, which was um, a white paper for transforming existing hotels so that they can reach net zero. Um, and to the collaboration piece that was supported by Arup, Gleeds and Schneider Electric. Um, and as we know, while this is a growth industry, just looking at globally all buildings, most of the buildings that are going to be up in 2050 when we're eyeing net zero um, already are up um, today. So for people that haven't read it, it would be great to hear a little bit more about that white paper, what the key takeaways were were for you. Sure. Yeah. So it was it was it was it was an exciting project, actually, because it really was the first of the first of its kind. So. Um, we partnered with Arup, Gleeds and Schneider Electric, looking at one of our UK holiday inns to just really look at what was possible in terms of taking that existing property um, and moving operational energy to net zero carbon. Um, so this is your you know, typical holiday inn in the UK, of, of which there are many. And I think it, for us, what was interesting, it, it really unearth those insights into into both the challenges um, in doing this um, as well as this very very specific interventions and specific achievable steps that could then be applied across the entire hotel industry um, and I think again some some of the key insights for me was that there was this real range of measures that um, varied in terms of complexity and cost so you know some some very quite simple operational measures from, you know, how do you allocate rooms? Um, and how do you decide when specific spaces are heated and cooled um, through to passive measures? So how do you actually improve the thermal performance of the building fabric to stop energy being wasted through to active measures? So, you know, the efficiency of all those systems in the hotel, be it the cooling systems, the heating systems, lighting, kitchen. So actually, this paper just set out all those measures in a huge amount of detail um, and, and, and showed how to take put all of those together to take the hotel to, to, to net zero. Um, so I think what was interesting, as I said, was some of those really were low and no cost. So some things that really could be done really quite easily 
um, and some requiring upfront investment. But I think what was really interesting that, you know, when looking at all the costs, factoring in added value to the hotel, because we really are sort of seeing, you know, now that should translate into higher asset values. It should be more attractive to guests because actually now, you know, our, our B2B customers in particular are wanting to see more green, green credentials. Um, that actually, you know, that, that there was a really good uh, financial story for the hotel. Um, but actually, uh, you know, government incentives and green financing is, is, is really going to help to get some of these things going because, you know, there is still going to be some upfront investment required. But it was a, it was a great project. Yeah, it seems really exciting and lots lots of takeaways so that I hope will be useful for people listening um, as well. But I wanted to come back to what you mentioned as a really important element of the business, the new build element, um, because obviously the white papers for existing buildings. Um, so could any of those learnings be used to inform the plan for new builds? And obviously, when you've got existing assets, there's only so much you can do about um, embodied carbon. So how would a white paper yeah. for new builds look different with, with that in mind, maybe? Yes. So zero carbon new build, as I said, is sort of it's one of our specific commitments under our journey to tomorrow plan, just sort of identifying that that that's going to be, uh, you know, whilst, as you said, that the existing hotel stock is going to still be there um, in decades to come. There is a lot of growth going to be coming from from new build hotels as well. So this is really important for the entire industry to get on board with. Um, and for us, we've spent the last few months uh, doing a lot of planning around this because it's actually really complex. Um, if you think about, you know, we're in 100 countries around the world um, and definitions of net zero do vary quite considerably depending on where you are. Um, and actually, whilst the, the scope of our commitment doesn't include embodied carbon specifically, if you look at our science based targets, it's absolutely something that we're going to be thinking about because that's that that's so important as as you think about that uh, that wider value chain and and what's necessary for net zero in the future um so we've been thinking about you know we've got 17 different brands across multiple climate zones what does maximum energy efficiency look like um then the piece around you know residual energy needs things like on-site renewables so absolutely, that white paper has really started to help us think about how to approach this zero carbon new build project. Um, but I think what's going to be really important is thinking about as an industry, how can we do this? Um, and there are some great industry affiliations out there, such as the Sustainable Hospitality Alliance, who kind of are really developing some fantastic tools um, to help the industry decarbonise. Of course, and that comes back to that collaboration point, which you've, of course, um, emphasized. Um, Catherine, I could talk to you about this all day, but I'm aware that this is meant to be a, a brief podcast um, episode. And as it will be our last net zero business podcast before COP26, I guess it would be good to close out with a forward looking question um, on that and ask what's on your wish list in terms of outcomes for accelerating climate action for private companies and specifically companies in your sector and you've mentioned a couple of things there so um, more clarity on what net zero actually means 
um, in certain geographies and how that chimes with other geographies. And you mentioned the need of as as well some more more clarity on funding for some of the things that are not low or no cost as well. But is Absolutely. there anything else? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a great question. And there's, there's going to be a lot of commitments, we all hope, coming out of COP from companies, either individually or collaboratively, and, and hopefully from, from governments as well. But for me, it's about, you know, we really do need those solid policies, plans, roadmaps to back up those commitments to, to, to make this change happen quickly. Um, and, and as I said, you know, it really is that big thing for us is around incentives and financing. So how can we work with governments to incentivize our owners who, you know, in large, they are, are, are small, medium enterprises to, to, to really decarbonize. Um, so for me, that that's that that's my big wish is is you know to be able to to get that support for our owners um, to to help them to do this. Of course, I feel like as as you've said, we've had all the high level target setting, and now it's about what happens in the meantime and how that's delivered. Um, yeah. So I have everything crossed for you, um, Catherine. You. <laughs> but for today, I should probably let you get going. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Wonderful. Thanks for inviting me, Sarah. It's been good to chat. Thank you once again to Catherine for her time and for her insight and Edie will of course be keeping an eye on IHG's future energy efficiency and decarbonisation announcements. So we usually have just the one guest on these episodes but this edition of the Net Zero Business Podcast is kindly sponsored by Inspired Energy PLC. So their client optimization manager Helen Barnett also sat down with me for an exclusive conversation. As mentioned before Helen spoke with me about ESOS Phase 3 answering questions about the practicalities of compliance and about the bigger picture too. So that's all about how compliance can feed into your broader net zero strategies and complement other reporting and disclosure processes as part of that journey. So without further ado, here is that talk with Helen in full. Hi Helen, it's great to have you on our podcast today. How are we doing? Hi Sarah, how are you? Um, Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. And yourself? Yeah, well, thank you very much. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to pop on um, to this podcast as part of Inspire's Master Series, obviously, um, at what is a really busy time for for everyone. Um, taking a step back from the big, broad climate, global climate COP26 prep for a look at, um, at ESOS. So I think um, we've often had Inspired reps on to talk about this and other related topics, but it'd be good to get an introduction to yourself. Um, and some information about your role with ESOS compliance. So I know that you help clients with that, um, but it'd be good to know if you also oversee the company's own compliance too. Yeah, sure. So I am one of the optimization managers at Inspired. Um, I've been working in the energy industry, mainly um, consultancy for about 11 years. Um, And my main focus is energy efficiency, carbon reporting and government legislative um, climate change schemes, so things like climate change agreements, um, EII, and also ESOS and SCCR reporting. Great, thank you for that for that overview. And we're speaking essentially. We're speaking. This will be live in mid October by the time you're listening to it. But I'm sitting down on Teams here with with Helen at the very end of September, um, in which the government has just closed its consultations about ESOS phase. Three. So I guess the obvious place to start is by getting a snapshot of phases one and two and asking for your views on how you think those went. So how successful were those? 
Sure. So I think um, the general consensus um, has been that phase one was very much seen as a box ticking exercise, due to, mainly due to the, the actual scheme being implemented shortly before the deadline. So there was only about 18 months to a year before the deadline when the scheme was actually actually implemented. Um, so it was very much a box ticking exercise and there's quite a rush towards the end of the scheme to get everyone compliant. Um, with um, phase two, we did see um, a little bit of a switch where more companies were engaged with the recommendations that were made. And um, for example, one of our clients made savings of um, £290,000 a year through the recommendations that were made through the phase two. Uh, compliance um, but there has definitely been a more engagement um, and we are seeing that with phase three currently that we're in and the compliance date on the horizon that there have been a lot more um, high level uh, like board level c-suite engagement with the reports that have been produced already and through three through the previous phases as well that makes complete sense. So it's not only, I'm assuming, because the scheme is more mature, but also just because, yeah, climate's higher on the agenda for all boards and all companies. Um, Absolutely. Now looking back to when phase one first first started. Yeah, with, especially with the shift recently with, with the publication of um, relevant companies' results in terms of um, energy and carbon within the SECR reporting. Obviously, that's now on an annual basis. Companies, especially C-suites, are seeing that as um, if they're not seeing any change, it could damage their reputation. Um, so there's a lot more engagement and also within supply chains and with the government with net zero and COP26 happening next month. Um, there's obviously been a massive shift with consumers, stakeholders and investors to engage with energy reduction and ultimately the reduction in emissions. Of course. And I wanted to get get a look on that. Um, as you've mentioned, phase two was different from phase one and three is different um, again. But for people that might not have read the whole consultation documents, could you run us through quickly um, what changes you think are, are most likely? Specifically, I know there's a lot of changes planned to get this net zero aligned and to increase reporting on, on net zero. Yeah, sure. So there's one big change um, is the change to the de minimis rule. So at the moment, it's currently set at 10 percent. There is a look. They're looking at switching it to 5 percent, um, which obviously will change people's reporting and how they've reported previously, whether that now includes transportation, which for some companies is quite a large um, and difficult areas to reduce emissions, especially if they're, say, a transportation fleet or logistics where they have um, large HGV fleets. Um, it's difficult at the moment because there isn't really a great alternative to combustion engines, um, which obviously leads into companies scope one, two and three emissions in terms of net zero. In terms of the net zero and introducing that into the reporting, we do encourage we're encouraged by that um, as as a company. Um, but we do think it should be included. Obviously, at the moment with scope one and two, which is what ESOS addresses. Um, but it depends on what level of scope three uh, reporting needs to be done within the net zero part of ESOS. It, obviously, it depends that that requires a lot of um, 
supply chain engagement. So it just depends what depth um, bays want companies to go into. Yeah, thank you. That definitely is something because we see so much about reporting just not being unified and being difficult to to join up and to to meaningfully compare with companies of different sizes and sectors at massively different um, different stages in that journey. Um, but what I also wanted to get a feel was I wanted to get your feel on the timelines um, for this, because as as with a lot of other things in government at the moment, I'm sure they're up in the air. So TCFD disclosures were brought forward, for example, um, for, for big businesses. So I wanted to get your views on timelines and whether they're going to be different for businesses of different sizes. I think it's to change it now with personally to change it now within the middle of a, within the middle of phase three um, could be quite disruptive to some companies, especially if they've been early adopters of their um, site surveys. It might be that they have to go into more depth in order to meet a net zero strategy um, and it be able to publish that within the phase three reporting. Um, so it, ideally, um, it should probably be being brought in in phase uh, four, but it depends when the government um, releases the results of the consultation as to when, uh, how easily it will be to adopt for those early reporters. Of course, and as we mentioned off call, it's very busy time of year for the government on all things sustainability um, at the moment. So watch this space. Um, so we've covered a little bit about how how um, the scheme could potentially change in the scope of what needs to be disclosed and the depth um, and about strategy reporting as well. But I've, I've noticed this week as well that there's been an update about enforcement. Um, so I wanted to to um, ask you about about that and what that means for the listeners and what you guys at Inspired have made of that. Yeah, so there was um, very recently before our, our call today, um, the government released a consultation which is due to end in early November, um, stating that they are looking at changing the enforcement penalties to cap it at £200,000 rather than £50,000. Um, they have stated within the consultation that this would be for multiple and uh, persistent offenders. Um, who are essentially avoiding compliance um, because for some companies, especially the very large energy consumers, a £50,000 fine may be less than it costs to actually comply with ESOS if they have got a, a, a huge portfolio of buildings and a complex estate. Um, so we do encourage that we are encouraged by the fact that they are looking at taking a harder line on companies that don't don't uh, comply. However, I think that it needs to be proportionate. So, for example, if they do extend the scheme to SMEs um, as part of the, especially the net zero response and the engagement with supply chains, it needs to be appropriate for the size of business and the actual impact they have on the UK's emissions. Of course. Thank you so much for that overview. Um, I think we're out of time for our call on the podcast today. Um, but obviously, for everyone listening, I would encourage you to check out the other part um, of this master's series. So the other parts of this series, um, we have this week, so the week that this podcast is going live, hosted a masterclass webinar on getting to grips with ESOS. So that will be available to watch on demand at your convenience on our website. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. 
Um, and we're also hosting a explains guide also with the guys at Inspired on this same topic. So whichever format you'd like to get your information in um, and whether you'd like to go for a deep dive and access all three or whether you're pressed for time and you're just here today. Um, thank you so much. And thank you once again to, to Helen. No problem, Sarah. A big thank you once again to Helen and to Inspired and I will recap information on how to access our other resources on ESOS Phase 3 very shortly. But before I do, I want to quickly run through our net zero news in brief. This is the part of the podcast where we pull out three major headlines from the global net zero conversation from recent weeks. Starting with international relations, as this will be the last net zero business podcast before we head to COP26. Russia and Indonesia have both stated that they will target net zero by 2060. While this is not ambitious enough to be compliant with the Paris Agreement's 1.5c pathway, this does send a major signal to businesses internationally, as well as to other nations that are reliant on some of the same high carbon industries. In the private sector, the Mission Possible Partnership launched in January to coincide with what should have been the World Economic Forum in Davos, if not for covid has published sector decarbonisation plans for aviation and steel. Both of these plans have 2050 net zero targets and multi-billion dollar price tags for delivery. So that's $6 billion annually through to 2050 for steel, rising to $300 billion for aviation. Businesses including Rio Tinto, Tata Steel and Liberty Steel are supporting the steel plan, and supporters of the aviation plan include Heathrow and London Luton Airports, Virgin Atlantic, KLM and Airbus. Also in the private sector and looking perhaps at an industry which is easier to abate than steel or aviation, Salesforce has announced that it has become a net zero business across its full value chain already. It has slashed scope one and two emissions by 48% since 2018 and is investing heavily in offsetting. You can find out more about that in an exclusive interview with the firm's head of clean energy and carbon, Max Scher, hosted on ED. Shameless plug that was kindly penned by my content editor, Matt Mace. So look up Salesforce on ED.net to read that in full. That's about all we have time for for this episode. But before we sign off, I wanted to highlight once again the other parts of the Inspired Energy PLC and ED Masters series on ESOS Phase 3. The first part of this three-part series was a free-to-download ED Explains guide, answering all your FAQs about the scheme. It features best practice advice and an exclusive narrative viewpoint from Inspired Energy's Director of Energy Solutions, Robert Leake. Access that guide now at ed.net forward slash downloads. That's ed.net forward slash downloads. The second part of the master series is a 45-minute masterclass webinar which took place on Thursday, that's October 14th. It's now available to stream on demand at your convenience. This session featured expert presentations from Emma Hurd at Inspired, as well as Gary Shanahan at the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, and the pair of them also took time to answer your questions live on air. You can watch that webinar back on demand at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. And this podcast is the third and final part of the ESOS Phase 3 Masters series. So I hope you have enjoyed today's episode and the other parts of that series. If you're looking for more, all past ED podcast episodes can be found on our SoundCloud, our Apple and our Spotify. There's more than 105 there for you to enjoy. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast on any of these channels to make sure you never miss a future episode. But as for today's episode, it's coming to a close. So it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.